Funding for Think comes from SMU's continuing and professional education. You're listening to Think on KERA 90.1. I'm Chris Boyd. What role do the philosophies of Maria Montessori play in 21st century education and in global efforts to protect and grow the rights of children? More than 100 years ago, Italian physician Maria Montessori developed new methods for teaching young children based on scientific observation of how they learn through individual, self-directed explorations of enriched educational environments in mixed-aged classrooms. Today, Montessori education is among the fastest-growing approaches to education in the world, and my guest today is here to talk about why. Andre Roberfoy served as UNICEF's Deputy Director for Program and Strategic Planning before accepting his current role as President of the Association Montessori International. He's in town for the Educators Sans Frontières uh, Third International Assembly, which brings together Montessori educators from all over the world to discuss principles, preparations, and best practices. The two-week conference wraps up today. Andre, welcome to Think. Thank you. What basic assumptions about the nature of children and how they learn play into Montessori methods? The very basic assumption is that the child is a potential and that all the ingredients leading to the development of talents are present in the child's brain before we start. The child's brain is not an empty barrel that we fill with knowledge. It is a brain that is in a stage of development and will develop according to the child's own will and discovery. It's about exploring the world. And we can come back later on explaining how this exploration goes from birth all the way to 24. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because there are several stages of childhood that Maria Montessori um, mm-hmm. identified and that have been sort of reinforced over the years. Talk talk about about that. The first one is from, what, about two months to she, about 18 She months? called them the forced planes of development. Mm-hmm. That's the word she used, which is the first one is basically from zero to six, mm-hmm. early childhood. During that plane, the child is first discovering his environment, discovering that he can reach to the environment, he can touch it. He can develop capacities to recognize by with his fingers, with his eyes, with his ears. He can start producing sounds. All this is extraordinarily complicated, extremely complex. And the recent neurosciences uh, exploration indicate to us that what Maria Montessori just observed as what she called a sensitive period when it's time to 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 expose the child to challenges in movement, in speaking, in hearing. This corresponds to specific moment in the development of the brain corresponding to that particular talent. So what she's done is to simply put the child in an environment that allows him to be challenged for each of these particular sensitive period of development of a particular function. So the first plane is discovery of the immediate environment, discovery of movement and controlled movement, beginning of speaking, beginning of recognizing colors, objects, sensations, and to begin to see that there are other children with him of different age, different size, and that the relationship is something that is enjoyable. The second plane, which goes from roughly 6 to 12, is when the child is becoming to 
be challenged by the environment itself. He wants to know not only what and where, he wants to know why and how. So we're creating an environment in which there are opportunities for exploring and making research. Not only to see what is there, but why is it there? How does it grow? What was it before? What will it be later? And at the same time, to realize that this intellectual activity is also stimulated by being in groups with others, that you can design and be much more effective if you try together to achieve a purpose. The third plane, which is adolescence essentially, is not only the what and where and how and why, but it's about discovering that we can change it. We can touch it. We can understand how it works and we can turn it into something that's useful for us. Again, alone and together. I mean, the, the, the esen- one of the essential elements is always to be with a group and to develop these social capacities and talents. The false plane, which is going into adulthood, we must recognize is something that we're still exploring. Maria Montessori didn't have the time really to go into that. And uh, we are beginning to make some, some attempt, but it's, it's a bit premature. But definitely, we are sure and we can observe that in the world, and no matter what culture, what level of wealth, what level of development, children who go through that process, who are, who are being helped by an environment that is stimulating, who are being supported by a teacher that is observing them very carefully and discovering when they are ready for this or for that. And they are all different at different moments. They clearly achieve a better, uh, a better uh, shall I say, uh, exploitation of their own talents. And above all, they are sure of themselves. So how do you train a teacher to be sensitive in these ways, and I would argue that teachers in conventional classrooms are also sensitive to the needs of their students, but um, what, what sort of special training do Montessori teachers need in order to really sort of read each individual student and provide appropriate individual guidance? Well, it's a demanding, very demanding training. Uh, it may take different lengths of time in different places, but it's very demanding in terms of a, a very strong effort on your own personality to first recognize that the child is not an object, is a person with whom you enter into a dialogue. You talk to the child, but that's based on, and that takes a long time in the training, observation, 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 observation. It's not easy to be in a class, to have 20 or 25 children and have an eye on all of them who have an individual activity and have that re, that extremely precise observation to say, is he or she ready for this or for that? And then to present a challenge. You don't put a child in front of a challenge and then hope for the best. First of all, you, you have observed that he or she is ready for it. Mm-hmm. She can succeed. And then you present. You explain how it works. For instance, everybody knows the pink tower. I mean, that's a kind of a symbol of Montessori. Mm-hmm. When, the child, when the teacher thinks the child is ready, she will show, demonstrate very slowly. The child is very attentive. 
always. We don't know that children have an extraordinary capacity of concentration. So he will, and then he will start. He will fail a couple of times, but you don't, you just leave him alone. So that the failure is not something that's being sanctioned. He it's knows. part of the learning process. It's part of the learning process. He knows it didn't work. He will start again until he succeeds. And then usually what you'll see is that he will immediately do it again <laughs> and again, simply being happy to have succeeded. I mean, the, one of the key in the Montessori process is you allow the child to be driven by his own success. You never emphasize his failures. There is no failure. There is simply another attempt. You see, so, but that training is, is essentially about repeating, 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 observing, observing, observing. Of course, learning all the theory and reading all the books and all this, that is important and is demanding, but it is the, in the presence of the child that you progressively change your own attitude of the teacher is not the head of the class. The teacher is sitting, first sitting on the floor mm -hmm. with the child at the same level, and it's, it's a helper, a supporter, not, and we call them, we don't call them teachers, we try to call them guides. So is, is there to guide? But it's the child that takes the road. How does a Montessori classroom look different from a conventional classroom? In many ways. Uh, in a, a three to six classroom, you will have what people know, the Montessori materials, you know, Manipulatives like the pink and, towers mm -hmm. and, and, and many other things that are specifically designed for developing some specific talents. But you will see them all organized in a very neat way. In every classroom, the same, the same kind of organization you'll find. It's usually in order because one of the things children love to do is to have things in order. You just have to promote that. They don't like mess. If they mess around, it means something is wrong. They don't do that. So when you present a, an object to, the, to the, the child, you also show that you go and pick it up where it is, you present, and when it's finished, you bring it back at the same place. So you see the child, when you observe a class, the first thing that is uh, uh, striking is that there is no disorder. There is apparent discipline which is not imposed, it's because they love what they do. Contrary to a lot of time we hear people say, oh, you know, these Montessori class, that's where, where children do what they want. No, it's where they love what they do. Hmm. And it's very different because they have chosen it. And it has led them to be successful. So it has increased their self-confidence and, and, and their sense that they are working in a class. They love to say, I work. They don't say I play. And the repetition, which is never, we never tell a child, stop doing this. As long as he wants to do it, fine. We let him do. You know, so it's, I came very late to Montessori environment, but I visited many, many classes all around the world, and it's always the same shock when you see it. How, how is that possible, that the children are busy, quiet, polite with each other, nice. I mean, of course, occasionally you will have some, some child who is a little uh, restless. Teachers know how to handle that. 
very peaceful and without, I mean, there's never, never, ever a single act of punishment in a Montessori class. And that has been going on for 100 years. And it has proved that this is absolutely not necessary. So how does that impact the way that children who are given a Montessori education approach conflict resolution among themselves? Because they first learn to know each other and to respect each other. They first, they also learn that uh, if you want to be able to do what you like to do, sometimes you have to wait until another one has finished with it. So it's a, it's also, I think, a sort of a natural behavior. Children are not naturally aggressive. Children take, for instance, when you have children of very different color or whatever, mm -hmm. social status, name it, children don't take differences as something to be worried about. They always take it as a curiosity. Hmm. They want to know. So they come... And the fact also that they are in multiple age group helps that the oldest are helping the youngest to integrate the group. And they have this, living in a group is also a discovery for them. And they love it. Equals, you know, not adults, equals with them, doing the same thing at different moments. So I'm not, I cannot say that there is never a conflict in a Montessori class, that would be stupid, but teachers know how to precisely diffuse that and then they will go back to their work and you know it's it's real life it's happening but it's handled well my guest is andre robertois he is president of the association montessori international he's in town for a two-week conference which wrapped up today we will resume our conversation about montessori education after this break you can get to us by calling in to 1-800-933-5372 you can also send email to think at kera.org Funding for THINK comes from SMU's continuing and professional education. You can enrich your career with new certificate programs in web design, graphic design, and paralegal studies. Learn more at smu.edu slash CAPE. You're listening to Think on KERA 90.1. I'm Chris Boyd. My guest this hour is Andre Robefoy. He is president of the Association Montessori International and former UNICEF deputy director for program and strategic planning. He's in town for the two-week conference of Educators Sans Frontiers. It's the third international assembly, and it wraps up today. If you'd like to join our conversation about Montessori education, you can give us a call at 1-800-933-5372 or send email to think at kera.com. Org. So what you've described, particularly for the younger ages, I think is very logical for people. I think there are some critics of Montessori education who say that's fine for early childhood, but what happens when you have to learn how to divide fractions and do things that conventional schools teach by putting a teacher standing up in front of 25 kids and teaching it that way? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, two things I would say. That Experience has demonstrated to us that uh, the passage from a Montessori approach to the traditional school 
has never been a major problem. I'm not saying that children going to Montessori are doing better, but they joined very easily, mm -hmm. and they have a better sense of their own uh, security, if you like. So it's not so culture shock if they go into no a traditional shock. classroom. They are, they are prepared for changes, mm -hmm. more than many others. But then, if we're looking at the, particularly the, the 6 to 12 period, we have a program that allows to continue the same kind of approach, that is, freedom of choice, you can start the kind of study that you are interested in, you will receive the appropriate support. You will have also the support of the group. It's, they work much, very much in groups at that moment. And we see that the results are just as good. in twelve. And the passage to middle school or, or secondary school is, I mean, I don't know of a, an example anywhere around the world where it has been seen as a problem. We are pretty sure of ourselves for the period 6 to 12 mm -hmm. to offer a program that works. On the adolescent, we are still somewhat in experimentation. We have a very limited number of, of, uh, of uh, schools. They are doing well, but we cannot have yet the result on a large scale to demonstrate that. But so far, which is mostly schools that are called farm schools, mm -hmm. where there is a a very close contact with nature, a very uh, effective way of challenging the youth at that time to interact with the nature and to start having an impact, not only learning about it, but doing something about it, making projects. At the same time, they do have, they do learn, you know, they learn physics and chemistry and all these things as, as anyone else. But in an environment that is much more conducive to loving what they learn, is all of this applicable to schools that are, as, as we see in Texas all the time, cash-strapped either in, in this country or even in the developing world? I mean, is Montessori as cost-effective as any other form of education? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I come from Europe, mm -hmm. and uh, I have a, an understanding of education as being a public service. In this country, it's, it's very much a sort of a commercial commodity. So that leads to some sort of a difficulties here that education is seen as a competitive product. The cost, this and that, and then parents would sometimes think that is for school is more expensive, it's got to be better, and so on and so forth. So I think that the answer to that, in my opinion, is to increase uh, the public service approach. That means public schools to follow the principle of an effective education, which we pretend we, we, we are able to offer. But I think that if we want to make a change in the overall effectiveness of education for a whole generation, it's on the public school that it has to happen. We have already a number of very good uh, examples here in the United States with chartered schools and magnet schools in various parts of the country that are indicating success. The cost of Montessori education, well, that's another question. Often people think, that, oh, this is an expensive process. People it's, associate it with wealthy kids, essentially. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, that's probably because of history, that it was in private schools, and uh, because also it was very effective, the system tends to reserve the best for those who have the money. I mm -hmm. mean, it's not something new. So, But we're changing that, and we are 
a lot of examples around the world of Montessori education in the poorest possible environments. We have recently started a program in, a, in refugee camps in, in northern Kenya. Hmm. Uh, very, very poor people, absolutely wonderful. The result is the material that some people say material is expensive. No, they do it themselves. So they, they fabricate what they need. The, the teachers, during their training, they fabricate the material. Hmm. And they go with it. And it's, it has exactly the same impact on the children. We have an example in Haiti. You cannot think of poorer than Haiti. It works the same. We have little, little resources. Uh, here in the States, there are a number of schools that are offered to the, the, uh, to the, the poorer categories. I mean, I'm thinking here the East Dallas Community School mm-hmm. is not with rich Texans. Right. And it's going well. So it is possible. I think that we have to remove that idea. You know, any kind of education costs money. I think that if we look seriously, the cost effectiveness of a Montessori school today is probably far better than the cost effectiveness of a school that doesn't deliver anything. 1-800-933-5372 is our telephone number. Let's go on the phones to Kate in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hello, Kate. How are you this afternoon? And thank you for taking my call. Sure. Go right ahead. I, I, you just touched upon a very poignant point in our family. Our children have been AMI students uh, since the age of three here in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, we have sacrificed much financially to provide such a flourishing education for our children. I have always grappled with the dichotomy that Maria Montessori began her vision in the poorest, poorest section of Italy with the most disadvantaged children. And I wanted to know, what is AMI doing to continue that vision uh, with Montessori education? Thanks for Where it is not just reserved for those who have the affluency, uh, especially when we go to Erdkinder and that that um, stage of Montessori development where there are very few opportunities for those who are not as affluent. Thanks for your call. Thank you, and thank you for that question. Uh, <coughs> I think that it's a, uh, it's a, as I said earlier, it's a wrong perception that Montessori has to be expensive, but it is a reality that for the time being and in this country, it is largely reserved to the Let's say the well-to-do families. Uh, As I said, we're trying to improve our penetration of the public school system. I'm not familiar completely with the American system, and it looks sometimes a little complicated. To us too. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, uh, we have a number of people who are working at that. At the same time, and the meeting I just attended here in Dallas which is called the Educateur Sans Frontières, which means Educateur Without Borders, is essentially trying to find ways to reach the real poor people and to address the question of a good education approach for all children. We know that there are answers. It works. Uh, we need to convince a lot of decision makers in a lot of countries. You know, if I think about the amount of money that is being spent in the United States for education, I am sure that there could be ways to rearrange that amount without any additional cost to make it 
a more effective and a more efficient one. Andre, talk about this. There is no copyright or patent on on the term Montessori. Theoretically, anyone can open up a school and say it's a Montessori school. And I know there's AMI and some other organizations that sort of work mm-hmm. professionally with educators. But um, how do you know you're getting what you think you're getting when you enroll your child in a Montessori school? Well, yeah, this is a situation that is not ideal, not satisfactory. But the fact is that the word Montessori is in the public domain. There's nothing that nobody can do about it anymore. So it's true that... Uh, Anybody can put Montessori in front of the school and do anything they want. I think that parents have to make up their own minds on looking at the school. They have to look at certain factors in the school. Is the school practicing multiple age group training? Some are not. Is the school clearly practicing freedom of choice? That means the child being able to decide himself or herself what to do at what time and when they want it. Is the Montessori material the only one or are there many other ones? When you see many other things, be careful. Be careful. It's like sometimes people think that, you know, the more you put in a school, the more uh, uh, teaching aids, the more programs, special teachers for this or for that, that the child will get better. It's like if you were to think that... uh, When you eat, if you eat more, it will necessarily be better. Uh, Not necessarily. You may end up sick. So, I mean, talk with the teachers. Ask them how and where they have been trained. Is it in a known Montessori organization or have they been just coming from any any school? There is no recipe that I can give Mm -hmm. because we are in no position to put a label on every school. There are some schools that we are... We've put the label AMI for what... These are schools where we know are having teachers who have been trained according to the standards that we believe are the minimum standards and that are following... I mean, we have a number of uh, consultants coming uh, regularly to these schools to check that what they are doing is fine. But I cannot say that these are the only ones that are good. So it's a matter so of doing your, your research. You have to do a little bit of your research and then observe your children. If your children are really not happy, there's probably something growing in the school. Because normally in a Montessori school, they love it. Back to the phones now at 1-800-933-5372. This time we have John on the line in Fort Worth. Hello, John. Hi, how are you all doing? Great, thanks. Um, great show as always. I, I can try to articulate this as best I can so I can get a good answer. But I understand the, the giving the children the freedom to learn at their own pace and develop and uh, not punishing them per se or having um, emphasizing when they do something wrong. My question is, at home, while they're spending a third of their time in this this educational environment, how would the parents effectively take care of the things that need to be taken care of at home without some kind of a a consequence-based structure? I'm having a hard time thinking of how they would continue that same practice that they would have at a Montessori school. And I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks for your call. Thank you, John. Uh, you touch on a very important point also that I didn't mention, that uh, particularly for the first plane, uh, the education is not only happening in the school. It has to be a very, very coordinated effort with the parents. So we are developing uh, a set of 
aid or support for parents. We call it Parent Support Initiative. To, that will come out very soon. Uh, with uh, uh, suggestions on what to do, what not to do with the child. How to be a full partner in a Montessori education. And that is that includes that, yes, you don't punish them. There are other ways to deal with that. Uh, there are some schools that are organizing uh, a sort of course for parents to help them out. Uh, we believe that, uh, yes, education is not something that happens on the one hand in the school, on the other hand in the, in the house. It's got to be a collaborative uh, effort. Is there any danger, Andre, that, you know, little Rebecca, who loves science and math and has no interest in, in picking up a novel or a book about history, will end up with a lopsided education? We do not observe that. Uh, it seems that children have a natural way of being interested in many things. Uh, the fact that uh, they are not alone in the class is also often bringing them to look at what the others are doing. So they're influenced by their peers' interests. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. 1-800-933-5372 is our telephone number. Let's go next to another John, this one in Arlington. Hi, John. Hello. <laughs> I was confused because the last caller was also John from Arlington. <laughs> um, uh, truthfully, I wanted to thank you for bringing Montessori education to uh, NPR and to people's attention. I went to a Montessori school in Anchorage, Alaska, from kindergarten through sixth grade, and I loved it. I adored it, and I didn't find that love for education again until I went to college. Um, I'm now a Ph.D. student in computer science at uh, Texas Arlington, so obviously I have loved education for the past decade or so. But um, for anyone who has any qualms about monastery education, I, I urge them to look into it, and I urge them to listen to you because I love uh, my Montessori education as a youth. Thank you. Thanks very much for your call. What do we know, Andre, about how adults do who have had a significant amount of Montessori education, how they compare with their peers who went through conventional classrooms? I don't think that we can refer to any scientific objective study on that. Uh, we can observe at an early stage that uh, Montessori education does produce people who are more self-assured, usually, uh, who are prepared to take risks more than others, who are imaginative or creative, more exactly. But uh, I don't know of any scientific uh, survey that could substantiate that. We like to name some very successful people who have been in uh, Montessori education. I mean, like, you know, the, 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 the Sergei Brin and, and, and Larry... Founder and, of Google. Mm -hmm. Founder of Google. Uh, and a few others around the world who have gone through that. But, you know, <laughs> I don't think that parents should think essentially that the, the purpose of education is to have your child to become Sergei Brin. Mm -hmm. uh, there are many other ways to be happy in life. And I think that uh, it's also a lot to do with how do we measure success and why we want to bring our children into certain type of education. You know, do you want them to be absolutely uh, genius in, in, in algorithms? Or simply, we would love our children to be happy in what they do. That means that they will eventually discover what they want to do. 
My guest is André Robertois. He is president of the Association Montessori Internationale and former UNICEF deputy director for program and strategic planning. We will continue our discussion of Montessori education after this break. You can get to us on the phone at 1-800-933-5372. You can also send email to think at kera.org. Funding for Think comes from SMU's continuing and professional education. You can enrich your career with new certificate programs in web design, graphic design, and paralegal studies. Learn more at smu.edu CAPE. You're listening to Think on KERA 90.1. I'm Chris Boyd. My guest this hour is André Robertois. He is president of the Association Montessori Internationale and former UNICEF deputy director for program and strategic planning. He has just wrapped up a two-week conference, international conference on Montessori education here in Dallas. If you'd like to join our conversation, you can call in to 1-800-933-5372 or send email to think at kera.org. Len is curious about Montessori, Maria Montessori's views on nonviolence and conflict resolution. Um, yeah, it's, it's an email, so you can oh, just okay. answer the okay. email. Well, uh, yes, Maria Montessori has been very, very much concerned all her life on education and peace. She was convinced, and I mean, she was essentially working between the two world wars. Mm-hmm. So that was a period where uh, education and peace was a very, very hot issue. Uh, that an education that is based on the natural tendency of the child is leading to a, an easy and natural way to resolve conflict. Uh, children will demonstrate often that they are better to resolve a problem or to confront a problem than to confront each other. Hmm. And then there will be... Also, we see in the classes often that uh, there are occasions when children are fighting. That's natural. But they can make it up much easy afterwards. They will fight, come to whatever conclusion of the fight, and then they will go on with their... Right, as if nothing had happened. So <clears throat> the idea that was behind Maria Montessori's observation was that if we can nurture this capacity in the children to resolve conflict in a natural way, without this, that sense of vendetta or you know that memory of something has been done wrong to me, that we could probably change the way, as adults, we resolve our problems. It seems, in my opinion, that... Uh, by introducing, in the traditional education, introducing a lot of sense of competition, grading, you know, people first, second, third, and so on and so forth, we are actually introducing this seed of conflict, seed of competition, on a terrain that was ready for something else. Hmm. So I strongly believe that... uh, if we follow the child and his natural capacities, we will have the condition for a peaceful life together 
that would be much better. Also, another thing I want to say on that is a nice thing I said it earlier. Children have no problem with differences. They are interested in differences. So, you see, a lot of the 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 conditions leading to conflict are often adult-made because we've forgotten our capacities. Do you hear the argument often that, well, life is very competitive and when children get out into the world of work, they're going to need to know how to participate in a competition where there's a winner and a loser. Somebody gets the job, somebody doesn't get the job. Yes, well, I guess that if we have an entire generation of children who would grow up with a perception of the other as not being a danger for me, but a potential collaborator, mm -hmm. a potential partner, we would move away from competition. Com I believe that competition is is not necessarily the healthiest way of organizing our society. So um, at the same time, I believe that it's not for us to design the society that our children are going to live in. They will design it. What we can do is to offer them the best the best possibility for them to use their own potential to build it better than what we have done. I don't think that we can uh, change what we have done already, but they will. And they can change it for the better or for the worst. We believe in what we do that we're helping them to have a chance to change for the better. 1-800-933-5372 is our telephone number. We will uh, speak this time with Pat in Denton. Hello, Pat. Hi, this is Pat. Hi, go right ahead, please. Uh, yes, everything your, uh, your guest is saying is absolutely true because I have two adult daughters that went to Montessori school, and that was their experience, and they benefited in many ways. They're very organized, but they also have a, an excellent understanding of math because of the Montessori style of teaching that I think a lot of girls have trouble with math in a more traditional way of teaching math. Well, thank you so much for your call, Pat. I really appreciate it. Okay. Do you, um, are there a lot of teachers these days working as Montessori educators or, or as guides um, who had the benefit of a Montessori education themselves? We're trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, the meeting we just had here in Dallas out of uh, about 50, 55 participants, I think there were eight who had had a, a Montessori education. So we still have a majority, I think, of teachers who haven't had it because I guess that we had a short base at the beginning. Uh, but what I observe when I meet people is that all those who had it do remember it as being uh, an, a good reason for them to continue to do the same job. Mm -hmm. We have an email here from Nicole who says, given different learning styles and issues that some kids face in a less structured setting, would you say that there are some kids for whom Montessori would not be appropriate? <coughs> I have not come across that. I've seen Montessori school, as I said, uh, everywhere around the world with children of various conditions, all sorts of backgrounds. I've never come across a situation where we had to say, well, you know, this one is not fit for it. Uh, I think this, it's not because I think the system is, is a miracle. It's because 
the system is opened, is recognizing that the child, every child is different, and that we're trying to care for the differences. So it's by nature open to all. And I mean, I can say that there will never be a case, I don't know, but uh, so far, and if we do it well, there shouldn't be a situation like that because that would be the failure not of the child, of the teacher. How is student progress evaluated in a Montessori setting? Huh. Simply because they know themselves when they succeed. There is no cards, no marks. They progress at their own pace, and they know when they are ready, and the teacher is observing, okay, the child is mastering this, ready for that. It moves on. You never end on a failure. You always continue until you can move to the next step. So um, the best card is the one that the child is doing for himself. 1-800-933-5372 is our telephone number. Let's go next to Ashley in Sarasota, Florida. Hello, Ashley. Hi. Um, my question is, Is I have an 18-month-old um, daughter, and I've heard the great things you've said from 3 to 6 in the elementary. What does um, AMI have that is geared towards children under the age of 3? That's a good question. Uh, we do have a program to receive children uh, from birth to tree that will help the child to uh, develop the movement, balance, grips, uh, to start relating to language and so on. There are not many schools or establishments that are offering that yet. And we're, we're trying to, to multiply that. The, the Shortcoming is that we have a, a small number of trainers who can train teachers in that field because it's relatively new. But uh, at the same time, we're trying to offer to families, as I said earlier, an uh, instrument to help them, things to do, not to do. For instance, uh, when the child is very busy doing the most extraordinarily complicated thing in your whole life, which is to learn how to speak, to articulate sounds that have a meaning. I mean, it entails so many different muscles, and, and the brain is really busy doing that. And when the child is doing that and trying with his mouth to pronounce, you put a pacifier in his mouth. You think we help the child in doing that? Try to speak with a pacifier in your mouth. And many other things to help the child to move around, to discover his environment, that don't put him behind bars in the bed. And things very simple like that, mm -hmm. that have a negative impact on the development of the child. So, but we hope to multiply the, the, the areas where uh, younger children uh, from 12 or 18 months will be able to uh, be helped to develop their own capacities. I think we have time for another phone call. Let's speak this time with Glenn in Fort Worth. Hello, Glenn. Hi. Yeah, I was just uh, wondering what your guests would have to say about, um, you know, I really, I just believe we're not doing anyone any services in this country by not preparing for the competition, preparing them for the competition they're going to face. We live in a competitive world, and I don't see how denying that is prepare someone. Um, 
anybody watch the finals between the L.A. Lakers and the <clears throat> Dallas Mavericks, you saw how the L.A. Lakers behaved when they were losing. I think there's great value in teaching kids and adults as well to lose with, with grace and dignity and to get up and try harder and to, to do your best. And by doing so, we're doing them a service to prepare themselves. Andre, what, can, what, what do you say to that? I think that we are not trying to prepare children for a world that is that has no competition. Competition is part of of our world and probably for a long time. Uh, what we are doing certainly is to allow children to feel much more secure with themselves. That means to feel stronger in their own positions, which I think in a situation of competition will give, will give them some advantage. At the same time also, we try to bring the child to think that a competition doesn't necessarily mean that you have to kill the other. That it's a sometimes winning together is possible and that it doesn't have to be a win-or-lose situation. That can be a win-win, would probably, socially speaking, be something much better. So I, I have mixed feelings about the question, you know, like that, uh, in a way that... Uh, I agree competition exists. I do not agree that competition is that one has to disappear. We have, uh, we'll, we'll take one final call, and uh, this time we will speak with uh, Constance in Fort Worth. Hello, Constance. Hi. Um, I had a question basically asked on one of the comments your guest made, which was, do we want our children happy or do we want them learning logarithm? And I totally agree with the concept of Montessori. I'm a mother of seven, grandmother, foster, and adoptive mother. I'm also a college student myself, and I am, as we speak, walking to take a test on logarithms, have no desire to take the test, have no desire to take the class, uh, and doing terrible in the class, in the classes I enjoy, I love them. But so my question is, if he does do the Montessori process and he allows our children to be happy and not learn those things, how do we deal with that transition into an academic or college environment where we must go with the things that we don't enjoy and like? Thanks for your call. I think I've already touched on that on that issue earlier. Uh, yes, children have to move eventually in today's situation, to move eventually in a situation where they'll be subject to the testing. Uh, what we observe is that most of the time, being having gained that self-confidence, and don't make mistake, they do learn in a Montessori school, they're just as equipped as any other one to face the test. They're probably better to uh, handle the stress that goes with it. Uh, that doesn't make it a good system, to be frank. Testing testing, and over-testing is probably uh, something that we should revisit uh, very soon, I believe, because, uh, you know, the... Testing is that it, it assumes that every child or every young person has reached the same level at the same time, and that's not the case. André Roberfroy is president of the Association Montessori International and former UNICEF deputy director for program and strategic planning. André, it's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. Thank you for having me. It's my a pleasure to talk to you. My name is Chris Boyd. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.
The Think production team includes engineer Nilifer Arsala. Our senior producer is Jeff Whittington. Learn more about today's show, find out about upcoming programs, and download our free daily podcasts at KERA.org slash think. And we'd like to hear what you think about Think. Email your comments, questions, and suggestions to think at KERA.org.